You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. You can either experience the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The choice is yours. And that's a quote, and that the source is unknown. I want to repeat that. Just to kick off today's show, a thought to drop into your mind. You can either experience the pain of discipline, go out and get it done. You guys just met April already, or the pain of regret. The choice is yours. You can either do it or not do it. So I want to welcome you, welcome, welcome, welcome to this Saturday's April the 16th show. To our loyal listeners, you guys, 16 years, 16 years off the shelf has been on the air. We started on the radio, then moved to a podcast format, but I want to thank our loyal listeners. And for those who tune in on so many different platforms all over the world, if this is your first time tuning in, I want to let you know that you absolutely are listening to the winning book radio podcast off the shelf and thank you for joining us this morning we have a guest on i I learn from every guest and i'm so excited to introduce today's guest to you and learn what she see what she has to share with us here on off the shelf this morning but before i do that i want to introduce you every book is not for everybody and i've been at this over 40 years, so I know that for sure, but I wanted to ask you, for those of you who love mystery, you love a suspense. Some people like a romantic mystery. They just want some mystery in it. Some people love a thriller. Some people like a real-life mystery. You're just hanging on the edge of your seat wanting to know how's it going to turn out, what's going to happen. I know I like a good mystery. I like to try to figure figure it out before the, the author or the movie or the play reveals what is happening. If you love mysteries, if you love thrillers, and I'm talking a fast-paced, paced, page-turning thriller, mystery and suspense, I encourage you to get a copy of Escaping Toward Freedom. The subject of this book has made headline news. Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney. It's an e-book, paperback, hardback, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Amazon, Independent bookstores, you name it. Again, Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney. Please go get a copy and let me know how you enjoy the book. And you can read free excerpts at my website, which is Chistel, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. Again, that's C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And today's off-the-shelf guest is Tasha Keeble. Tasha is a mother and the author of the book, Call Me Freedom, A Black American Woman Breaks, Free, Breaks from Empire. She has worked as a curriculum writer, editor, and blogger. And in addition, Tasha is an English instructor and adjunct professor within the Chabot Las Positas Community College District. We are honored, honored, honored to have Tasha with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Tasha. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are yeah, you this a, morning? I am blessed. It's the Easter weekend, and I am blessed and and uh, happy to have you here and to hear what you share with our listeners who tune in from around the world live and then even more tune in through the archives. Now, the first two questions I'm going to ask you, Tasha, I ask every guest, Just it's only like three or four questions, just so our listeners can get a little backstory on the guests before we start talking about their books and their other works. So to kick off today's show, Tasha, can you tell off-the-shelf listen, listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Oh, wow. Okay, well, to start, I, I was born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Um, I consider that my home. Um but I left back and forth, and we, we came back and forth. I had my mother um, married my stepfather when I was very young, um, and so we left Arkansas and went to California. We moved to Santa Barbara area, 
And, <clears throat> excuse me, for the most part, I stayed in California. But there were times when I would come. We always came back and forth, you know, for summers or for holidays. And I actually went to school in Arkansas for two years growing up. So I always consider myself um, having been raised in California by way of Arkansas. Um, Growing up, I would say that um, I grew up in a very, um, my my mother's family was my primary family, Um, lots of aunts and uncles, a lot of comedy, a lot of love, and um, what sometimes didn't feel necessarily like support, but always was um, a lot of um, conversation, politics. My family was very active in movement. Uh, My mom was in SNCC when she was in high school. She actually went to um, Atlanta and trained for um, nonviolence. Um, in the, um, was that summer 64? I believe that that's the um, year. But she went there and she carried that with her, all of that, um, I guess, social activism was always the backdrop of our upbringing. Um, And so there was always a consciousness that kind of pervaded the household. Um, a very serious level of consciousness, and we were always, like, reading and going to the library and researching different topics. I mean, it wasn't, you know, drudgery. It was always, like, part of the, just part of the ether. Um, Both my parents um, worked outside the home. Um, I was raised in primarily Southern California, Central California. I live in Oakland now, but I always had this um, kind of a little strange relationship with the with where I was growing up um, because it wasn't like home. And I say that because um, growing up in California, I lived primarily in the suburbs, and they were um, I had left a predominantly black environment. Um, and kind of been thrust into this world that I didn't understand and that I felt like didn't understand me. And um, it was just really different because, I mean, you have to understand, we grew up in um, in Arkansas. There was an HBCU right down the street. Everybody I knew went to that college. All the family, friends, everybody was a very close-knit um, black community that was sort of self-contained. And that community is still there. It's not what it was, but um, it was definitely something that grounded me, grounded my brothers. um, And and, um, I knew it was always something that felt like love. Um, you know what I mean? It was very, and I, I always yearned for that. In fact, I used to have, I used to have dreams about going home when I was. I, I had a recurring dream about going home when I was a little girl. It was a dream I always dreamed, because I always felt like sort of out of out of place in California. You know, a lot of people listening would just think maybe the opposite. They would, you know, you think of Arkansas, you don't think of a big city life in in, in the state. And then you hear California, and you think, oh, wow. <laughs> and I've heard other mm-hmm. people say that. I've heard other people say, uh, uh, I think Felicia Rashad was saying that, it's that down home, wherever that is for you, where your community is, mm-hmm. where everybody, people, everybody knows everybody. Right. And, and you, can, you can go to anybody. You're safe with any of your neighbors. Everybody knows mm-hmm. everybody by first name. I don't know if, if if communities are still like that as much with technology. We spend so much time online rather than in person. But when I was a kid, yeah. you knew everybody on the block. <laughs> right. You knew everybody. We you knew, knew everybody. Yes. So I can see where you're coming from. So when you were growing up, whether it was in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, or California, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
I wanted to be a doctor. (laughs) I wanted to be a doctor. That was the thing. And I don't know necessarily if that was my dream. I know that um, I I had this idea somehow that I was going to be a doctor um, because, you know, that was what everybody dreamed of being. Um, I think when I was around um, 12, I started thinking about being a writer. Um, oh. I did. Because I've always what written. What made you take that shift? That's a good big shift from being a doctor to wanting to be a writer. What, what inspired that? Um, I started writing um, when I was 12. Uh, and I, I always like to say this, and I talk to my, when I'm dealing with my students, I say the same thing, um, that the writing process really is taking what's going on inside your head and putting it on paper and allowing other people to enter your thoughts, right? But also connecting, seeing where they connect with you in your thoughts because, you know, people will connect to um what's relatable within what you share. And, you know, human beings have so many, have pretty much, we have the same ideas about things, just how we communicate them. But what happened was um, I always, I kind of lived because I think because I grew up very kind of isolated in California, I had a very, very strong interior life. I had a I was always considering things and studying the way things felt and the way they looked and smelled and tasted. I was always in this process of like and I don't know that other people necessarily do that. I saw other people like living. You know what I mean? Like I saw other people engaged in like the process of living. But I was always kind of considering this and that. Um, And when I was 12, I was actually in school in Arkansas, and and boredom drove me um, to write the first thing that I wrote. And it was, I was in, um, I was staying with my grandmother for a year. My grandfather had just passed away, and I was bored to death. Um, I was literally done. like I had a we I went to school in Arkansas and it was completely different from schools in California. In Arkansas they they expected you to sit down and be quiet and don't bother nobody, right? Um and I had a 2-hour study hall. Ooh. And I never had homework. I had a 2-hour study hall and we were expected to sit there and be still, you know, um and one day, because I kept getting in trouble and kept getting put out of class because I would be laughing and talking with my friends, um, my teacher, I, I came up with a solution for myself, right? And I had just been sitting there, and I, I walked up to um, Ms. Hartsfield, that was her name, and she, like, put down her newspaper to look and see what I wanted. And uh, <laughs> I said, Ms. Hartsfield, I said, you know what? Um, I if I write something for you, I want I have an idea and I want to write something. I said if it's good, you read it and it's good. Um, will you pay me for it? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh God! <laughs> some people, some writers have trouble asking for money for their marketing. Now you already had it at twelve. Go. Good for you. Right? I did. I did. I was marketing <laughs> at that moment. And I said, she said, she said, yeah, go ahead. Like, she she, she appreciated, I guess, my inventiveness and my, uh, you know, whatever, my, my getting after it. So, um, yeah, I went and sat down and I wrote this piece. Um, and I remember what it was today. It was about um, me and my brothers floating down. There's a place here in California, Northern California, called the Russian River. And we had rafted down there, um, down the river, and, like, on both sides of a tall redwoods and pine trees. And I just remembered that scene. And so I wrote the scene. I don't think it had – there was no arc in 
in the thing. It was just like, you know, uh, 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 um, an impression. And I wrote it out for her, and she, she read it. She liked it, and I, she gave me 50 cents. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And I think that just, like, turned me on, and it, I never lost that feeling and desire to to – it it did something for me, um, not necessarily the monetary part, but um, the process. You know, I could see that I could go into a scene and recreate it. I would love to see what I wrote then, if I could go back in time just to see like how what it what it, what I thought and what I what I put down on paper. Wow! Oh, that's awesome. And you know that your teacher had the the wherewithal to see just how much of an encouragement and motivator that could be, even though it's just only 50 cents telling you somebody believed enough in what you wrote and your work to, yeah. to pay you for it. Even if it had just been a nickel, I think it, yeah. at, your, at that age, that I, I can just see your face lighting up like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. so amazing. Now, you're also an educator, Tasha, before we start talking about Call Me Freedom, you're an educator and you've taught English at mm-hmm. Shabbat College. How has that experience as an educator impacted your writing? Oh, um, well, I've had to teach writing um, for years now. Um, I taught high school English um, until 2013 when I retired. Um, and I was I had to teach writing. I had to actually, you know, be able to teach high school students how to write, how to write an essay, how to um, not necessarily grammar, but because I also taught, like, the AP English courses, I had to teach them style, right? So I had to be able to teach them argument, rhetoric, how to use language and manipulate it, not manipulated, but, you know, enhance what it is that you're trying to achieve um, in your writing. So that was golden for me. Just, I mean, it was such a blessing. I never, ever thought that going through that process would um, be as, um, I, don't, I don't think it, I knew that it would cause me to grow as much as I did as a writer. And I'm still growing. I mean, I'm not really where I want to be. Um, I think I can write. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I I think I can write, right? I think Miss Hartfield, when I was in seventh grade, made me feel like I could write. Um, so I've never lacked confidence. It's just that I think there's always room to get better. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but that, yeah, teaching writing actually has enhanced my writing and also seeing how much the education system um, like the social implications of um, education, um, it's very powerful just to witness it, um, especially in the public school setting. Um, very powerful. What, so, so you went from wanting to be a doctor, and then the ne- after this question, the next one we're going to start talking about Call Me Freedom. But you went from wanting mm-hmm. to be a doctor and then you sort of just kind of went into writing. You were bored. You just decided that mm-hmm. you, you had such a rich internal life. You wanted to uh, share that with others. How wh- how did you go from being a, a, a student? Two-hour study hall at 12 is like almost like punishment. But how did you go right. from that to to actually wanting to be an English teacher? You know, sometimes for kids, they're like, I'm done with school. I don't ever want Right. What, what, what made you decide to go in to English? I can, in my mind, that would only strengthen your writing tremendously. But how did you, how did you navigate down that path? Um, well, when I was in high school, it, and I, I think I need to say this is that my, um, my brother, my family always wrote. And my mother, I just remember her always writing in her journal. She would be in her room in the evening, always oh. journaling. And my grandmother was a very, very avid reader. She had stacks and stacks of books, like always. Um, 
And so that was like, and so everybody in my family, for the most part, read a lot. Um, And um, coincidentally, or because of that, everybody in my family, most of us who finished school and went on into our careers, like there are a couple people who went into business, but everybody else is in education. They're either writers or professors or um, like social workers. But that's like so. But that was the that was the environment that we grew up in. Um, and my grandparents were always reading and always discussing like what was going on in the world. And so that was the environment that we came out of. And it was it wasn't just that. It was my even in California, the people that I grew up with, my, my stepfather's family, while not necessarily, um, they were all teachers. <laughs> so um, it was just kind of the natural thing. Um, but, but I also loved literature. And I found that when I was in high school, um, I was really good at it. I could really, I mean, I was like an AP, you know, AP honors student. And so I stayed with that. And I, we, what's really strange is that I didn't, we didn't read any black authors at all when I was in high school. So it was just amazing to me that I stayed, you know, plugged in, is that we were reading Chaucer and, and um, Shakespeare and all of like the, um, American classics and all those, you know, all those novels that are part of the canon. But I, there was something in it that just intrigued me, and um, and I stayed with it. And I became an English major when I went to college. I was also a math major, so but I dropped that because I was like, no, this is the thing because I had a double major, and I said, no, this is the thing that actually it was. To me, it was easier. I didn't want to do math homework every day. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So I stuck with English. Interesting. You know, and I appreciate you sharing that little bit of uh, backstory on your family. It almost was like a natural transition with what you're seeing your mom journaling and different people in your family loving to read books. And 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 mm-hmm. so you, it, it, that was already there before you. I love the cover. We want to talk now about "Call Me Freedom." I love the cover of that book. It just it is it, so it, the artwork and it's so unique that it just grabs your attention. Uh-huh. And that's what a that's what a good book cover is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you look. Want to know more about that? Who yes. illustrated the Isn't cover? Isn't it beautiful though? It is. Who, um, who illustrated a, a the cover? A woman by the name. It's a woman by the name of Shell Barber. Um, she's an artist here from um, from Oakland. I think she's at the um, Art Institute of Chicago right now. But um, she does this um, Afrofuturism, these collages that are just amazing. She's um, she's incredible. And we commissioned this piece. I think um, actually we. Uh, purchased this piece and she did she read some of the book and then she did you know did some alterations to it and then we added our little thing so if you look at the if you study the cover you know what's in the book or you get a really good idea of what's in the book so yeah she did a wonderful job I love her work yeah and it's it's just an attention grabber now what is for off-the-shelf listeners tell us uh, Tasha, what's the inspiration behind the book, Call Me Freedom? Well, um, you know what? It had, I had a different title, but I changed it to Call Me Freedom because I wanted to own what was in here. And it really was me kind of stepping up and um, actually being a little bit more vulnerable and also a lot more bold in claiming my place in America. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's not an, it, to me, this book, and I've had like a lot, I've gotten a lot of feedback from folks, and what they always say is that it's beautiful, and I know that it's also um, powerful, um, but it's also something that is not easy. And, um, what I write about is 
you know, my experience, my family's experience and some of our history in America and what parts of it I want to claim and what parts I, I, I don't want to have to carry anymore. And a lot of it has to do with me breaking free from um, a lot of the impositions from society, um, claiming my own space, claiming what, my, what I've earned and what my people have earned, and also um, what's mine by birth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I talk a lot about how I never really thought about myself as I never really placed myself in America as like a full American citizen. You know, um, I never thought of myself in that way. Like, what does that mean? And what, what part of this belongs to me? Um, but I also do this, um, I, I draw a parallel with the idea of America and being something that I never claimed with the idea of my father, whom I had never claimed and whom I had just kind of blocked out of my consciousness in a way. And so unraveling that, I think I did that in the same sort of way. And it's, it's a struggle, but I think if you read the book, you can see how what I get to. Now, can you give our listeners an overview of Call Me Freedom, a black American woman's break from empire? Is this, are these like poems, journal entries, songs, essays? Can you, can you let us get, give us an overview of the book and, and okay. let us know some of the format that it's written in? Okay, well, these are, it's, it's written in chapters, um, and it's, it's a literary memoir. And so it begins with me, because I, that's just the style that I write in. And it begins with me um, kind of confronting a very deep hurt from um, when I was, um, that happened like maybe 15 years ago, something that I had kind of ignored or had repressed uh, or suppressed so that I wouldn't have to deal with it, wouldn't have to like deal with the emotions attached to it. Um, And it has to do with ownership and um, like denial and and actually like stepping up to be like a, a, a woman really full-fledged and um, claiming her space. Um, and it just start, I start out with that, and I go through what it, mean, what it meant for me to confront that and why I hadn't confronted it, why I never, like I've always been very um, considerate of other people, um, always like kind of step back and let others go before me, you know, made myself kind of small. And um, and I, I really do believe that that's something that I was taught to do. Um, yeah, that I, w- I was actually really taught to do that. that. And I was taught, and I don't know if it was necessary. It was, some of it was something that was explicit, and a lot of it was implied you know, is that somebody, these other folks deserve to go in front of you. So let them pass. You know what I mean? And so it was that sort of thing. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about breaking away from, and I talk about how this is sort of the training that, that, um, that I experienced and, and like awakening to that thing was kind of shattering. And I got to the point where I couldn't sleep. Um, and going through the process of not being able to sleep and then having to deal with and trying to unearth what it was that was causing me this um, discomfort to the point where I could not lay down and be still and close my eyes. Um, it took a lot of work, but it was, um, it's the, you see the butterflies on the cover <laughs> of the book. It, it it is a, it was a freeing experience, um, you, and that that's like the key. Hmm? I have to ask you this because uh, okay. this comes up this comes up in when I'm writing, like in my novels as well, and sometimes when I'm writing, even on a novel, 
something will come mm-hmm. to I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that before or saw it that way before. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know something I, lo- I, I thought I learned as a kid was that a good woman, she sacrifices. She sacrifices mm-hmm. and, and she suffers a lot. And that's what a good yeah. woman does. And so nobody came out and verbally said that to me. <laughs> it's just <laughs> what, you, what mm-hmm. you see and comments you hear people say. You know, she's still with yeah. him and he's treating her bad, but she's a good woman and she loves her kids. So she's just putting, she's going to hang in there. She's a good woman. And so that's that's a message coming through. How did you, mm-hmm. when you say what you learned, for, so for parents, who might be listening, and they don't want to teach that message, but they could be and not right. be aware of it. Are there some ways that you said it was implied that if when you share one or two examples, a parent could say, oh, i got to stop doing that? Um, well, you know what? One comes to mind immediately, but I, I'll go to that next. <laughs> I'll talk about that second. But the first thing I think was um, – I didn't get, even, I was a quiet child. Like I spoke earlier about having like this interior life, right? I was quiet. Um, And I was always the child who didn't act up in the store. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so my parents always thought that I was okay. That Ah. I was okay with everything. Like my brother, my older brother would throw a fit if he didn't get his way about something. And I didn't want my mother to feel, I always had compassion for my mother. I don't know where I got that from, but I always had compassion for my mother and I never ever um, wanted her to be upset. So I was very well behaved and I kind of took care of him. I was really self-sufficient, but that didn't mean that I was okay. Ah. And it didn't mean that I, had, I didn't have needs. And nobody ever said, how do you feel? How are you doing? It was always, you know, did you take a bath? Did you eat? Are you, you know, that kind of stuff. Come home before dark. It was always directive. There was never any question about how I was feeling about things and, and whether or not I was well. What kind of day did you have? I never got those sort of questions, never. Um, but my brothers somehow, I, have, have, I had three brothers. I have one now. But my brothers somehow were able to get that attention from our parents. And I don't know. Yeah. And so they had a different relationship with my mother. My mother and I talk very a lot now. And um, my my dad and I, my my stepdad and I, we talk a lot. And um, some, but there's never, there's always some, like there's a little bit of a, shield, a sheath between us, I want to call it, um, that that is not super intimate. And I mean, um, I think some of that it might be from like the hurt that I experienced, like not really getting that attention and not being, not having my emotional needs met or even inquired about. Um, the you second know what? thing I that I... I Go oh my ahead, God! I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm wondering how many other mm-hmm. listeners uh, can look back and say, "Somebody told me once it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil." You see it at work. You see it in homes. Mm-hmm. I've seen, seen it at worship centers. The one who uh, either cries the most or the loudest causes the most confusion or chaos. That's who everybody's <laughs> focused on. That's who everybody's mm-hmm. focused on. The one who's going right. along, no no big issues. Getting People good are very appreciative, appreciative that they're, mm-hmm. you know, not causing, not crying, not throwing a fit, not causing mm-hmm. any chaos. But you're not going to get the attention of one who's causing the chaos is good. Mm-mm. No. And you don't get the comfort. You don't get any of those things. And and I, I didn't realize that until later. Um and so today I have grown, my daughters are both, my daughter, my oldest is 30 and my other daughter is 28. 
I actually, I think I started to repeat that pattern. I may have done it the entire time that they were growing up. It doesn't mean that I, I didn't express love and I say I love you, but to inquire with like, well, how was your day? And tell me how you're, how are you feeling? So today when I talk to them, because we talk on the phone, I say, how are you feeling? What's going on with you? You know, not just like small talk and jokes and whatnot. Um, yeah, I have to be really intentional about it because I'll forget because that's how I was raised, right? And you know what? I think Um, a lot of people were raised that way. It's a good point that you bring up. Do you, uh, do you dig into that in, in the book? Um, about the emotionality, having my emotional needs met? Yeah. Yeah, Um, I talked about it with my father. I talk about it in terms of my father um, and how I was never, and this is, this is not the second thing, but in, in that relationship, he was absent, um, but it was something I was never able to talk about um, because it made my parents uncomfortable. Um, I could never inquire about him. Um, he was an enigma, and um, and so I never was able to feel what it meant for him to be absent. I never allowed myself to think that I needed him. And so that was, in admitting that thing, it took me, I, was, I had to be like 45 before I ever admitted that, that wow. I needed him. And I write about that in the book that, um, I, it was it was a young man who stood up one time at a conference that I teach in this program called Emoji at Chabot. And this young brother stood up. He was a youngster. He was a student. And um, he asked this man who was, like, formerly incarcerated. He was, you know, speaking in, in this conference. And he asked him how he felt or if he ever thought about the children that he left when he went to prison. And when he asked it, I started crying. Wow. Um, Yeah. And it just like he touched something in me with that question because the cat who was up front, he was stunned. My father didn't go to prison. He was in Vietnam. And so it was for a totally different reason that he was gone. But um, I related to that young man. Um, yeah, and I was, I was probably about 45 then. But let me you know, share the second thing with you. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, go ahead. No, okay, no. Okay, the second Please. thing, with, and I don't want to forget this, that's why I keep, is <laughs> I remember when I went away to college or when I got a letter saying that I had been accepted to Spelman, um, I remember my my mother saying to me, and this is, it had to do with her upgrade, I mean, her upbringing, right? She said to me, oh, that's wonderful. You'll go and get you a good husband. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what, the generation your mom came from, I'm guessing, because I'm thinking back to the generation from my mother and my, my definitely my grandmother and my aunts and uncles. My aunt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was the thing. You went and got a husband. I mean, that was mm-hmm. the biggest. That was the biggest blessing you would ever get in this lifetime. <laughs> right? So I'm serious. And it's so, not like that now, yeah. but it, that was huge. Yeah, and I was shocked because, um, like, I'm talking to my former roommate, my we're good girlfriends from that time, and my friend. She was. She said her dad never, her parents never said anything like that to her. She said they were like, you go, and her father told her, you go and get your degree, and you come home, and you be independent, and you support yourself, and you don't need it. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. But, no, I was very, very, um, I don't know if I could say bourgeois, very middle class, you know, um, you're going to go and find a husband. You're going to go on with your life wow. and get yourself a nice degree. Maybe you'll be a school teacher. It was that. Um, wow. But that that was a value system. And, and I did not even – I write about that in the book. 
um, that I did not even notice it when she said Oh, my it. goodness, yeah. So it was so much of it. You were hearing so much of this dialogue around you that it didn't even jump out at you. Like, wow, that's odd. No. <laughs> Even, but you know, you know what? When I'm I went to school, when I went to school, I was I kept a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. So I received that message. Yeah. Oh my goodness! You know, mm. I'm listening to you. Uh, for for our listeners, we're, we're interviewing Tasha Keeble, the author of "Call Me Freedom: A Black Woman, A Black American Woman Breaks from Empire." Your book, although it's it's autobiographical. It could really help a reader to heal, and and in ways you might mm-hmm. not imagine. If they, like when you were hearing that gentleman speak who had been in prison, and you asked, you know, somebody asked him, what did he think about him being away from his kids? It's somebody listening to what you share, and they're like, wow, that's similar to something I went through, and they might not even even realize it's something holding them back, or a struggle mm-hmm. or belief them until they they read like Call Me Freedom, and what a wonderful mm-hmm. title. Just listen to you talk about yeah. it. Call me freedom, like a perfect title. Now, Pastor, this is written at Amazon in the book's description about "Call Me Freedom: A Black American Woman Breaks from Empire." One explores the narrator's life and family relationships, and the second gauges and evaluates her interior life relative to the outside world to free herself from a stultifying duty handed her as a middle-class black woman to piously attend to everyone's needs before her own. I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. having read that, had you spent, ha- mm-hmm. and when did you stop, had you spent your life pursuing other people's requests, desires, and needs, and almost to where you weren't even aware of your own, had you spent your lifetime doing that? And when did you awaken and say, uh, I'm thinking of Yana Van Zandt, she said one day her soul just opened up. When did you wake up mm-hmm. and say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore? It was when I couldn't sleep. I had gone through cycles of kind of like unraveling, um, kind of peeling the onion because the the layers were so heavy. You know, I don't think any of us, um, and I can't speak for all black women, but I don't, I mean, I, I look at my sisters, right? And I mean my sisters, other black women, and I see myself in them. Um, and I think we, we call ourselves sisters because we understand each other. <laughs> we relate a great deal to each other, and we understand the things that we experience. Um, not everything, but we experience many of the same things. Um, and for me, peeling back those layers took years. Right, and it would be a diff- something different would come to light, and I would I would make progress, and then I would fall back into it. And especially what what really triggered me falling back into that behavior of letting others take my take up my space or treat me in a way that was not what I deserved, and then walking away from it and not telling them, hey, you know what, that's not okay, and I would appreciate an apology. Or um, I'm not going to fool with you because that I don't. You can't treat me that way, right? I never did things like that. Um, but what happened was I couldn't sleep, and I had to. I had to face it. And what it was was that I was so concerned with this idea that I had to be that if I wasn't like the perfectly sacrificing sister. Uh, daughter, mother, that somehow I was inadequate. Somehow yeah. I wasn't doing it right, you know. Um, and and I was like, I was, my soul was aching. I used to drink a lot. Like I would take care of my children would be beautiful, go to school. They read early. You know, they were just, everybody loved, <laughs> you know, they were just, they were shiny and going to school and mama was suffering, yeah. You know, I was working hard and taking care of everything. Um, and it was the first step was like when I stopped drinking. Then it, I was able to be able to feel, have my feelings again. But then it was like within my family, it was one death after another death after another death. And I know that we experience this as in this country. Um, I just lost another friend of mine last week. 
another mm. sister who um, she was only 44 years old. Um, heartbreaking. We went to grad school together. But it's like when those tragedies happen, who steps up to take care of everything? Yeah. It's the women. Yeah. Yes, yep, yep. That's And that still remain unchanged. I mean, society is changing slowly. You see fathers helping more with their kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, my dad raised all five of us after my mom passed. But you see more yeah. and more fathers stepping up to help mm-hmm. help with their children. But look how long this is taking, and they still, it's still look the Look at mother. how long. Yeah, but it's and it's still nowhere nowhere equal. It's still the woman who works a full time job. Years ago, you you oh. thought a man working harder outside the home. Then women worked outside mm-hmm. the home and still take care of the kids. So it's, it's yeah. some, somehow I feel like a little trick got played. <laughs> a little trick got played, and we got the short end of the stick, and we thought that this is just the way God wants it. And so we yeah. it's like a little got played on us and. I think more and more women are waking up saying, you know what, I'm this far, no further. Now, I, yeah. I, I really, call me freedom. This is, with you being transparent, it's, I, I can see what a reader, again, could heal as they, as they read your story because their guard will be yeah. down. They won't think there's anything about them. It's just reading your story. Now, that said, yeah. I know you mentioned your father. He was in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And when you when you when your when your father passed, you said you barely knew him, yet his passing had a significant impact. So Tasha, I wanted to ask you, do you think that we misassign importance to relationships and events? There are people who have had really traumatic things happen and they just repress it in their memory. They don't even remember it until it pops up later. Mm-hmm. But do you think that we tend to misassign importance to relationships and events? Events like saying, oh, that was no big deal. And yeah. and, and they are a key or pivotal event in our life. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think so. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I think about it. As soon as you asked that question, I thought about my friend Lance because he and I talk every day. He's like my best friend. And he has in his response to like trauma he doesn't respond the way that that a person like I would think the way that I would respond so the way that he explained it to me is that because he has he has bipolar condition um and I don't think he would mind me sharing that but he he said that he puts that thing whatever is happening in a box when it happens, because he can't respond in the way that his body, his mind wants to respond because he wouldn't be able to handle it. So he immediately goes into analyzing the situation. He makes, he, sometimes he makes me mad because I say, you know, Lance, this is like real and this is like some trauma because we saw an accident one time. And um, anyway, and so for me, I think that a lot of times we just try to get through whatever the thing is, right? Mm. And we don't necessarily have the tools to process it. And sometimes it's just so much. It's just so much. I think about members of my family who have been through horrific things, you know, especially with all this gun violence in our society, especially Mm -hmm. this level of gun violence that our children are experiencing and our family members to me it's it's that that is right there it doesn't go anywhere um it's sitting right there to be dealt with and a lot of times it comes out like you know crazy because we don't process it right um yeah, and for me, a lot of my life had been, especially after the death of my older brother, had been just, you know, hold it together. You got to hold it together. You got to take care of the family. You got to take care of everybody else. You got to take care of your children. You got to keep going to work. You got to finish school. And I really, really worked. I, I, I finished, like I told my, I always tell my dad when he tries to correct my English, I say, listen, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, I 
said, I have four degrees in English. <laughs> I said, I know how to finesse the language. So during all of that, I completed four degrees in English. Wow. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, I was trying to take care of everybody except myself and thinking I could, like, somehow pass through. Like, I would escape what, you know, our bodies, <laughs> what science tells us our bodies are going to go through if we are not taking care of them. Yes. And our yeah. minds. Yeah. Mm, what inspired you to start writing letters to your father? I've done that with people close to me who've transitioned, and I found it extremely helpful. But what what inspired you to start writing letters to your father? Um, what inspired me, you know what, I think I had been, and I write about this in the book, I had written a whole book, um, almost 400 pages, and my father was nowhere in it. Um, yeah, and it was, almost, it was a little bit of a memoir, but it was, my father was not in it. And um, I think that for me, I'm trying to think of what made me, Think about, I know what it was. It was something that my brother told me, and it was a question that my little brother asked me. I'm not going to share it because it's a little bit too personal, but um, it triggered this idea that I needed to, like, really um, in- interrogate this relationship and why it is that this is so distant from me and why it's so below the surface. And maybe if I dig this out, I'll, I will experience um some freedom from whatever is ailing me. And it actually did. It felt really good to um, to go through it. I, I have to say that the process of writing this book, just writing it, was I like, can only imagine. Um, yeah, it was amazing to me. Every day I was just so excited, like, let me get back to this. Let me get back um, and, and just push through it. Um, And I just, you know what, and I have to say this, and I'm going to say this really quickly, is that I really wanted, and I've I've given the book to a friend of mine. I got feedback from everybody. I have blurbs, you know, from different people. But I never really got another black woman's opinion about the book. Um, And I asked my sister about it because she, you know, she's going to tell me, oh, it's great, uh," right? (laughs) She's been so, she's like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I love this. My sister's a writer too. Okay. Um, but I wanted, and I could not get another black woman to sit down, read this book, and tell me. I've given it to a, a poet friend of mine who's supposed to get back to me. Because I said, I want your honest feedback. Like, what do you feel? Do you feel like this is genuine, authentic? Do you feel like it's it's real? Is it? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I I, I kind of get this sense that it's very close to home for a lot of women, for a lot of black women, um, maybe too close to home. Um, but I think that the I, – I, I think it's a good book. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know what, again, it's it, – because people think it's not about them, they won't be defensive. Now, I wanted to ask you, in what ways yeah. is the message uh, or the messages shared in Call Me Freedom, A Black American Woman Breaks from Empire, similar to the stories in a color, that what's in a color purpose aims to share? Because mm. that, came, that came to yeah. me when I was researching. But in what ways are they, do you think they're similar, the messages in both of those? Well, books? I think the message, and I appreciate that question because Alice Walker is in this book, and Alice Walker, um, I actually heard her, one, her, something she said is actually in here. One of her books, two of her books, and then a quote that I heard her say one time. I was, she was standing right in front of me. But um, it's really about, it's almost like taboo subjects in a way, um, some of it. Like, there, it touches a little bit on that, but it has to do with family. It has to do with love, how we express love, how we break away from the patterns and the hurt that was done to us. Um, and it's not just as women, but women within families, and it's this thing that uh, Angela Davis says, it's that we, 
can't really get to the heart of the matter. And it's another thing, who else says this? Um, It'll come to me in a second. If we don't take what's going on in society and see how it is affecting the inside of our households, right, like all of that stuff, the messaging that I got that my parents gave to me and my family gave to me, which made me behave in the way that I did and become the woman that I needed to change to get free, all of that stuff came from outside of our household. All of those messages, they my parents weren't born thinking that way. They were programmed to think that way. They were socialized to to teach me to be this way. And Angela Davis says that um, oppress, oppressive systems are reach their highest point and function within our families. And we don't know it necessarily. And some people might disagree, but... And it, I, we don't. And it's not to blame the family, not at all. It's to like examine it and see how we can get a little bit more free if we want to be free. And some of us don't want to be free. Um, and that's another story. Yes. But, oh my goodness. And just a two, just a two of those, because the color purple is powerful. So what you share mm. and call me freedom of color and purple is, is fictional. Yours is a, is a real life story. So I can just see where a reader would go away feeling. And some people don't want to be shaken up that much. <laughs> like no. Right, right. And, right, then, and no. then some people will, will already, and or they just think that they're reading somebody else's story. So then the defenses are down and, and then they can uh, mm. get the benefits from it as they continue to read it. Now, Tasha, I love your writing style. I'm considering your your writing style, have you ever thought about writing a novel? And if you did, what mm-hmm. do you think that novel would be about? Oh, my goodness. I am writing a novel. Okay. <laughs> I am writing a novel, and I can tell you what it's about. And it's interesting you asked me because I just connected with this brother in here in the Bay Area. He's doing a film, and I didn't know he was. We're connected through, like, this independent press here, but he um, is doing a documentary on the same topic that I'm writing a novel on, and it's about the um, Elaine riots of 1919 in, in Arkansas, um, and it was a, it, it, a lot of people don't know about it, right, because it was kind of a hidden history, but it happened at this church called Hoopspur. And the novel that I'm writing has to do with what happened to, it was started because black farmers who were black sharecroppers and white sharecroppers had come together and they were trying to form a union so that they could get decent prices for their, you know, their crops. And it, that resulted in them being massacred during the meeting. And then the men who, they chose, like, I think it was nine men, nine black men who were tried um, by the state of Arkansas, and um, they were going to be executed. And um, anyway, so that central story has to do, it's connected to the novel that I'm writing with a, a woman from Oakland who goes back to her home in Arkansas to try and um, deal with some of her history and her grandfather. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like a good one. Is it a bit of a mystery? <laughs> is there some mystery in there for the reader? There is a bit of a mystery. You know how you un, un, it un, unfold um, and, like, the, you know, the, the uh, climax scene, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's a little bit uh, speculative in that there's some, a little bit of, I'm not going to say magic, but there's a little bit of surrealism in it. And, um, yeah, I I think it's – I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be good. Oh, it sounds excellent. When when do you think readers can go pick it up? Is it a year out, two years out? (laughs) I would imagine a year out. I should be done with it, I would say, by Christmas, by the winter, because I'm – yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a treat. You guys, 
we are at the coming up on the top of the hour. We have what what a treat. Tasha Kibo, she is the author of Call Me Freedom, A Black American Woman Breaks Free from Empire. And you just heard the novel she's working on. I mean, she really gets down and for the heart of a story. So looking forward to that novel when it comes out. Tasha, i got to ask you this. Do you have a website? And if you do, please share your website URL. Um, I don't. I don't have a website. I hate to say this. You anybody, you can Google me. You can find a way to contact me if you want to. Um, but I just got off of social media um, yesterday. I closed all my accounts. I hate to say it because I need to write. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but you, anybody can reach me. Buy the book, um, and and you know I'm 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 available for whatever anybody needs. Just just hit me up. Okay, Tasha Keeble, you guys, author of Call Me Freedom, A Black American Woman Breaks from Empire. Thank you so much for being here with us, Tasha, and for what you share in your book and also here on Off the Shelf. To our listeners, please come back. Mark your calendar Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. You're going to catch Off the Shelf Books podcast. Saturdays, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, book lovers everywhere to tune in to Off the Shelf on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as I always tell you, you are incredible. You're awesome. You really, really, really are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. I'll see you guys back here next Saturday. Tasha, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you.